Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. From MCIE. Happy spring break to those who celebrate. I totally wasn't going to produce an episode this week, but then I thought, I think it's time for a remix. My name is Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at mcie.org. It is so great to be back in your feed this week. Can we have a little check-in? How is everyone doing? We are just over 20 episodes this season. It is unbelievable how time has flown. And we have some excellent content for you this month. But for the first week of the month, I want to try something a little different. Sometimes you'll hear a bonus or a remix episode like today, or sometimes we will have what we call in the biz, a feed drop where I introduce you to an entirely new podcast by playing one of their episodes in our feed. I've already got one lined up for May. Okay, so on to today's episode. I'm going to replay an interview I did with Julia Bascom, the executive director of the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. This interview is from 2017. So, wow, that is almost six years ago. And here's what I cover with Julia Bascom in this episode. The importance of self-advocacy for autistic people and how it can create a more inclusive society. The challenges of autistic people having to advocate for themselves and how they are often left out of conversations that involve the disability community and the need for allies to step up and support autistic people to create understanding and acceptance. So if you've been with us for the last few episodes, you've heard about our sponsor, Together Letters, and how we are using the newsletters 
to keep in touch with our Think Inclusive patrons. But have you gone to togetherletters.com and set up your group yet? If you have 10 people or less, it is free. And you can't beat that. Try out Together Letters with the people in your life today and then let us know how you like it. Thank you so much for listening. And now it is my pleasure to play our remixed interview with Julia Bascom. So ASAN is a national grassroots disability rights organization, and we are a self-advocacy organization, like it says in our name. Um, And that means that unlike most other organizations, we are run entirely by autistic people ourselves. So I'm autistic. All of my staff are autistic. um, The majority of our board members are on the spectrum and so on and so forth. Um, We're also the only autism organization that focuses exclusively on the needs and priorities of autistic adults. There are lots of other organizations that focus on families or kids or researchers or what have you, um, but the needs of adults continue just to be neglected overall. We mainly do policy advocacy and systems change, and we bring a civil rights framework to that work, um, which we find to be frequently lacking in a lot of other autism groups. So um, in layman's terms, that means we don't really talk about awareness or about autism for autism's sake. We have specific changes we want to see our com- for our community in terms of inclusion, um, employment, housing, healthcare, and other policies like that. Um, and I want to take a second to just really emphasize the importance of us being self-advocate run. We believe very strongly that the best experts on autism are autistic people ourselves. There's a tendency in our society to talk about autism without actually involving any autistic people into the discussion, and that's a huge problem, and it causes a lot of misinformation about autism and stereotypes and other barriers for autistic people. Um, That's why ASAN's motto is nothing about us without us. First and foremost, we believe that whenever autism is discussed in the media, in the halls of power, in research, wherever, um, autistic people need to be at the table leading the conversation. So that really sets you apart from mm-hmm. other organizations. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't really know of any other organization that has such a, um, at least for um, autistic individuals, uh, the focus on self-advocacy is, is there any, or any other organizations that you can highlight, you know, and I mean, they could be autism organizations or not mm-hmm. off the top of your head, uh, that, that, that focus, um, that their focus is self-advocacy. So there's the autism women's network. Um, and that's really the other main self-advocacy organization. They are also self-advocate run. They focus specifically on the needs of women and girls. And so they don't have like an adult specific focus and they do obviously a lot of work with families since um, if you want to talk to autistic girls, you need to talk to their parents and their families as well. Um, They're a great organization. We do a lot of work with them. Um, There are other self-advocacy organizations in the developmental disabilities community. So we do a lot of work with self-advocates becoming empowered, which is for people with intellectual disabilities, for example. Right. Um, but in autism, it's it's us and AWN. And then there's some state and local groups that are getting bigger and stronger, which is really exciting to see. Um, and hopefully we'll see some more national groups as a result of that as well. That's fantastic. Now, um, let's see. Think Inclusive has been around for about five years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, how long has 
uh, ASAN been around? Because I believe, I mean, I feel like it's from the very beginning um, th- there was uh, that I knew about you guys, but uh, and gals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do do you know when, when did it start? So ASAN is an organization. This is our eleventh year. We okay. had our ten year anniversary um, last November. The Self-advocacy movement obviously has been around for decades, and then there were there was autistic activism and autistic advocacy um, before us. So there was Autism Network International and some other um, organizing that happened both locally um, and nationally and even internationally. Um, we've only had an office and a bank account for five years now. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we, we are still... Um, a lot younger than people tend to think. All right. All right. And you are a, uh, a nonprofit. Is that correct? Yes. We're a 501c3. Okay, great. Um, so in saying all that, um, and because we are that, you know, we are, uh, I guess, celebrating autism, uh, mm-hmm. acceptance month here at think inclusive. Um, you know, maybe let's talk about one of the biggest misconceptions, misconceptions about autism, uh, in your perspective, sure. Um, do I have to pick one? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, there's so many. <laughs> oh, just yeah, just you know, throw a dart. Yeah. Um, okay, so there are a lot to choose from. Um, I guess, sort of a, like an overall pattern that I see. One of the things we see happen a lot of the time is that people hear such scary things about autism. And then they meet an autistic person and they hopefully in that interaction notice that we are people and they don't quite know what to do with that disconnect between us, you know, being a person, a real person in front of them and everything they've heard about autism. Um, And so they'll say things like, you know, like you're autistic, but autistic people don't have feelings or they don't talk or they don't grow up or whatever the stereotype might be that they're, that they've interacted with. Like, I still remember the first time someone who I considered a really good friend said, but you have feelings to my face (laughs) after finding out I was autistic. (laughs) And like, I'm not, I'm not sure how someone's supposed to react to that. Right. Um, And I, I think we have this problem where the reality is there are a lot of different ways to be autistic, just like there are a lot of different ways to have a brain or to be a person um, and it, it doesn't make sense to think that autism is only one thing, but that seems to be um, where a lot of people are at right now. Okay. Well, that, that brings up a good point because, you know, uh, you have people who say, well, Julia Bascom can articulate herself very well and she can, you know, explain um, all of these wonderful things about autism and, you know, how she experiences the world. Um, she is not like my child. My child is nonverbal. Um, my tr- my child, um, you know, stims so much that you know he he or she hurts himself or other people. You know, my child has challenging behaviors. My, you know, so l- let's talk briefly or not so briefly, I guess, if you want. <laughs> um, um, wh- you know, what would you say to people who I'm sure you get this? Uh, say, mm-hmm. well, you know, how can you speak for the autistic community? you know, you aren't anything like my kid. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a few different things to say about that. Okay. Um, the first is it's my job to explain autism and explain autistic people and explain my community's priorities. And I'm good at my job. And I'm sure that um, 
many of the people who say these things wouldn't want to say that being autistic precludes someone from being good at their job. Mm. Um, beyond that, um, it's a pretty common saying in the autistic community that is, it's important to remember what you don't know when you're encountering someone who's able to argue with you about autism, for example. All you know from that interaction is that they're able to have that specific conversation at that specific time. Mm. You don't know anything about their medical history, about their developmental history, about what their life is like outside of that interaction, and so on and so forth. We get the kind of emails you're describing pretty frequently. And like, I gotta say, I have yet to see a description of someone um, in those emails that doesn't match my life or the life of one of my staff members at some point in time. Um, we have board members who are non-speaking. We have staff who don't live independently. I'm not going to comment on my personal um, abilities and support needs since that's private information, but it right. just doesn't match reality. There's The reality is that autistic people who support ideas like disability rights and neurodiversity and autism acceptance and that's most autistic people, have a really diverse range of backgrounds and disability experiences. Some of us can talk, some of us can't, some of us can live independently, some of us can't, and so on and on and on. And there's this idea that people with a certain kind of disability experience would naturally feel one way about their autism, and people who seem more visibly disabled should feel a different way. And in, in its extreme form, that belief looks like what you just described. Yeah. Um, and it looks like people saying that if you have any sort of positive or even just neutral feelings about your disability at all, that you can't be disabled. And of course, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but it's been a really persistent myth. And I think it's important to know that that's been around for long before ASAN. It's been said since the self-advocacy movement started. And I think it's important to remember that the self-advocacy movement was originally led by people with intellectual disabilities who were institution survivors. Um, so this has been around for a long time, regardless of, you know, the reality that it, um, is attached to. Right. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say is that I wouldn't say that ASAN ever speaks for any specific person, but we do speak out, for example, on the right of every person to have a robust communication system so they can tell us what they think. And I'm pretty comfortable with that. I wouldn't say that I represent every single autistic person and every thought they will ever have, but I am comfortable saying that I represent our community's right to have these conversations about ourselves. Right, right. Um, do you do you think that do you think that because the you know parents? Because I'm assuming I'm I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the emails or the pushback that you get from certain people are are they are advocating or speaking for their child, right? Or for somebody who they know that has, that is autistic. Um, and maybe they, they can't see beyond, you know, what their own experience is. Um, so therefore the, they don't have that experience. So then they're saying, well, they're, they're trying to reconcile that. Is that is that fair? Um, that's a challenging question. I think that might be true for some people, and I think that's certainly how um, a lot of folks perceive that. Okay. Um, the neurodiversity movement gets a lot of pushback, specifically um, from people who believe that vaccines cause autism. Right. And I think right. that gets a lot more complicated. And then we also overlap just with you know, the fact that people have um, bias against disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and 
it can, it's difficult to untangle that. I, I think it is. I think it's, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, I mean, but part of, part of what I hope, you know, this conversation and almost everything that we, that we publish on the, on the site mm-hmm. um, will do is give another perspective um, so, so that people can see that there's a wide range of, of uh, perspectives in the disability rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, as, as far, I mean, that's why the, as far as I think the idea of inclusion, right. We want, we want to have a big tent, <laughs> you know, we want to mm-hmm. have, we want to have discussion. We want to have respectful disagreement. And um, I want to be able to hear uh, from people who just don't, who just don't understand um, why people don't like, you know, autism speaks. Now we don't, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and we've been very vocal about that. And some people may not like that about, about us in particular, or, and I know that you, the, um, uh, ASAN has, uh, s- uh, spoken out against, uh, them as well. Um, but we're, we want people to come to the table and at least listen to each other. Um, so the, that's why I wanted to have you on because I think it's really important for anyone who's listening to say, look, you know, your experience is different and that's Okay here's a person whose experience is different. That's okay. Let's listen and see if we can learn something. Um, so let's lead into this question about awareness and acceptance. So what, what do you think in your opinion is the difference between autism awareness and autism acceptance? Sure. And just really quickly, I want to say, you know, I think having that big tent is important and we want to reach as many people as possible, but it's also and I think this gets lost in a lot of our cultural conversations about autism and the way we talk about it as this abstract thing. Mm-hmm. It is important to remember that we're not disagreeing over pizza toppings. We're disagreeing over people's lives and people's rights and how people deserve to be treated. And I think that does require us to think about the conversation a little bit differently than we would think about other kinds of disagreements. Um, in yeah. terms of awareness versus acceptance, I think that awareness often lacks some really important context. Like, okay, I'm aware of autism, but what does that mean? What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, over the last decade, we've seen a lot of awareness campaigns focus on making the public know a few stereotypic facts or alternative facts about autism in as scary a way as possible. Like Mm. I'm thinking about the omnipresent Autism Speaks posters in DC right now, um, where you see a child in black and white looking away from the camera. Mm. Um, And I I don't understand why we're trying to make people scared of a kid that's looking away from the camera. And I think the consequence of a lot of awareness campaigns is that they do influence how people think about autism. And then when that person has an autistic child, they have already been sort of primed to be scared of their child and scared of that child's disability. And that's the kind of thing that's going to have a huge impact on the parent-child dynamic, on the kind of life that child has, on the expectations that that parent has. And it sets things off just on a really, a really negative and really dangerous starting ground. Um, Acceptance, on the other hand, is tries to correct for a lot of that. I would say that acceptance is more active and more clearly values-driven. 
So acceptance means that you know that I'm autistic or you know about autism and you know that that's okay. Acceptance is about respect and inclusion and community building um, as opposed to thinking you know the warning signs for me and hearing that having a kid like me is more common than being in a car crash or being hit by lightning or all of these other terrifying things. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So what is the, is it, um, I guess, what are the current, I guess, uh, rates of autism. I don't know how, I don't know the best way to say that, um, incidents of autism. Sure. Um, cause I, I believe the CDC, I think the, the, the most current is one in 68. Do you, do you feel, mm-hmm. do you feel that is accurate? Um, I think we're getting closer. So a couple of things that we'll usually say about rates. One, mm-hmm. the evidence is pretty clear that we're not seeing like an increase in the percentage of people who are who are autistic, we're seeing an increase in the percentage of people who we are identifying as autistic. Right. Um, and we know, and I think this is important to know when we think about specific numbers, that um, diagnostic di- disparities are still a huge thing. So we know that um, it's, it's much harder to get a diagnosis once you're an adult, even if you're an adult who's experiencing you know, significant disability. Um, we know that women and girls are dramatically underdiagnosed. We know that children of color are dramatically underdiagnosed and often A, get diagnosed later, and B, are more likely to be diagnosed with other disabilities incorrectly, like intellectual disability or um, mental health disabilities and so on and so forth, or seen as just problem kids who get funneled into the school-to-prison pipeline. Mm. Um, I think the numbers are better than they've been in previous years. I think we're getting closer to having an accurate number. I would expect expect to see the number go up a little bit more as we correct for those diagnostic disparities. But one in 68 is a lot closer um, to the only real population level study that was done um, in South Korea. And that suggested it was one in, I think, 38 kids. I can find the study and send it to you. Oh, yeah, that'd Um, be great. And so I think we're going to get a little bit closer to that. Um, But the numbers have stabilized recently. And I think that's just reflective of the progress we've made in understanding what autism is and identifying people correctly. Right. Um, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk a little bit about recovery. Um, that word recovery, um, mm-hmm. because I know that, um, and I don't know if you know this about me, but when I first got into work, working in special education, 
uh, I actually was a behavior therapist and I did that for mm-hmm. a year. Um, and this was zero, you know, experience working with anyone mm-hmm. with disabilities at all. Um, and that, that was short lived. Um, and then, uh, you know, fast forward a few years and I wanted to become a teacher mm-hmm. and uh, looking back on my training, um, a lot of the training that I was given was about recovery, about mm-hmm. s- students. How do we get our kids that we work with to um, be, and there's this, there's this quote, and I think it's a Lovas quote, actually. Um, it's th- that these kids are, are going to be indistinguishable from their peers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lovas. Right. Okay. So it was a going through uh, my teacher training, which was fantastic because it was really more about um, more, much more inclusive as far as um, how do we look at disability and disability is a natural part of the human experience and, and stuff like that. Um, so looking back and going, there's a strong, um, I guess, way of thinking that, that, you can recover from autism. And if you do these things, whether it's, you know, behavioral training or whether it's uh, diet or it's, you know, any other medical procedure that you can get the autism out or mm-hmm. something like that. So do you, do you, first of all, think that, I mean, I know the answer, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I guess, what would you say to people who believe that people can recover from autism? Um, and then also for people maybe who have experienced it themselves and say, Hey, I, I recover from autism. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you get that. So as a matter of science, um, I, I think the evidence is fairly clear that, that recovery is not a real thing. Research on people who have, you know, quote unquote, lost the label, mm. um, as, te- as that tends to be said, still tend to describe these adults as dealing with anxiety and depression and attention and and executive functioning impairments and sensory issues and a lot of other things that sound like a whole lot of autistic adults that I know. (laughs) Um, And in reflection of that, the DSM-5 criteria also, you know, says explicitly that you can meet criteria based on past developmental history. So you don't have to actively be showing a specific trait in adulthood um, to count. Um, and that's more in line with how people work. Um, I think you're absolutely right that recovery is the the stated goal of applied behavioral analysis. Um, and that's one of the reasons that ASAN and self-advocates generally have such strong objections to it. Because just because someone is able to put on a good show and act in, indistinguishable from their peers doesn't mean that their quality of life has improved. Um, or that they aren't experiencing disability, or that they aren't still autistic and just really good at faking it. And that's also not like an ethical goal, and it's not a goal that we have for other people. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that um, Ivar Lavas's other project was also um, something called the Effeminate Boys Project, which tried to have those same goals of recovery um, for um, young men who were thought to... um, who are thought to be gay, young young boys. Um, and as a result of that, that became, you know, conversion therapy. And our society has come a lot further. And I say this as a member of the LGBT community and saying, well, that's not okay. And that's not ethical. And so it's very confusing to me um, that it's not 
necessarily agree to be ethical anymore for someone to spend a lot of time training me to act straight, but it is okay for them to spend a lot of time training me to also act like someone I'm not Hmm. and suppress really natural and fundamental ways of interacting with the world and thinking and being and communicating so that I can act non-autistic. That just, that just isn't an ethical um, thing to do to someone. Right. Right. In terms, I mean, you asked about individuals and I would, never argue with an individual who refers to themselves as recovered. That's not my place. Um, Mm -hmm. But as an advocate, I'd rather focus on the culture that makes people feel the need to say that about themselves. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Why don't we, let's uh, pivot to inclusion uh, and inclusive education because um, along with that discussion of, I guess, training students or Mm -hmm. kids to be, or act a certain way. Um, I think that uh, when we're looking at inclusive education, specifically for um, autistic students, there is a big, uh, maybe with them being included in any sort of general ed setting, uh, behavior tends to be the, the thing that everyone is kind of up in arms about or afraid of, or uh, tends to be the challenging issue uh, mm-hmm. because, well, this student is either, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, quote unquote meltdowns or they're making a lot of noise or um, uh, they're having a hard time with, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and, and so, People will say, you know, to me as an inclusion advocate, wouldn't these kids um, be better served in a self-contained environment where they're comfortable, you know, safe, uh, you know, and and stuff like that? Uh, What I guess what is your opinion about inclusive education? Um, And do you feel like there's a... um, any sort of reason why you would want to have a separate environment for um, autistic students? Sure. So in terms of, of inclusion, we think, and I think this is a really important baseline for us generally, there's not some sort of bar people have to meet before they deserve to have their rights honored. So inclusion is a civil right in this country, and we would argue that it's a human right. Um, and so conversations about whether or not someone is X enough to be in an inclusive setting. Mm -hmm. Um, We tend to find not a useful way of coming at that. Um, If people, um, we know that people um, who are having um, a lot of challenging behaviors and so on and so forth are, are reacting to something. Mm -hmm. They're not doing things for no reason. And that usually Um, what's needed is either um, medical support for an issue that's gone undetected and is causing someone to be in pain um, and or, and it's usually both, um, access to a functional communication system, to some alternative um, besides speech. And when people have those tools, they tend to be able um, to regulate a lot better and to participate more. Um, From an advocacy perspective, we know that segregated or substantially separate environments just breed more segregated environments. And often these settings get introduced or excused as way stations 
and places for people to get more training and get up to some sort of bar, you know? Right. Um, and we've seen that historically, but we also know, since uh, we've been doing this for a while, that it's exceedingly rare for someone, once they've been segregated, to be permitted back in. Um, that's just not a thing that happens uh, when you look at the whole picture. So as a matter of, of public policy, um, as civil rights advocates, we really just have to be essentially unilaterally opposed to those separate environments because it's really hard to ensure people's rights otherwise. Um, at the same time, I mean, it's it's not a secret that most schools aren't 100% inclusive and that students and teachers and families are often asked to make the best of a bad or even just an imperfect situation. And I think that's a more personal decision. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. I mean, I see that every day and I, I've, I've seen that every day since I've been an educator. Yeah. Um, and, um, and what I typically do is if, if I am with a family who, uh, and we are looking towards a more inclusive placement, uh, or setting, um, and the family is a hundred percent in, then, then we're going to do that. Um, mm-hmm. but there are also times where, parents and families don't want that and they mm-hmm. they like the system the way that it is and they say and they say nope i don't want that i want my student in a self-contained classroom and i want them to get you know x amount of attention and you know uh, x amount of support so as right. a as an advocate for inclusive education in um I have a lot of cognitive dissonance <laughs> because mm-hmm. um I want certain things for my family and I see you know like like what you said the bigger picture where you know I I see a world where it's just not an option so right. then therefore we have to make it work and uh, because it is working all around the country and that you right. can point to certain schools and certain districts that are doing that but you can't you know, force, I can't force my administration or the district or the state mm-hmm. to make the changes that I want to see. And so, right. so yeah, it's, it's a very personal decision. Um, and fortunately we have, I mean, we have the individualized education program, which is supposed to be an individual and personal decision uh-huh. <laughs> based on, <laughs> based it's a beautiful on the, theory. it's a beautiful theory. That's right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, that I think that clarifies um, pretty well, you know, your, your mm-hmm. position on that. And uh, I, I would say that we're very, you know, much aligned in that, in that yeah. respect. Um, uh, so if you don't mind, can maybe let's talk about, um, uh, I guess, your personal experience uh, with autism. Um, and so I mentioned an IEP. So... Um, is that something that you experienced when you were growing up as an autistic person or did you get diagnosed later or how, what was it like growing up? I actually don't usually talk about that, um, publicly on media just because often with self-advocates, um, once you start talking about that, that becomes all you're allowed to talk about. So I've drawn that line, Um, but I'd be happy to talk with you about that offline. Okay. No problem. Um, can we talk about, um, the maybe some of the other questions about about um so you don't want to talk about any of your personal experience uh with autism um no okay that's fine <laughs> no worries <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, so let's, why don't we do this? Let's, okay. let's, I guess, close our eyes and travel mm-hmm. 20 years into the future. <laughs> and, okay. and let's say what kind of world would, um, you want to see, we, you know, when you open your eyes and you traveled, um, you know, with the work with ASAN is done, uh, the mm-hmm. work with other disability rights advocates, you know, what kind of world would you want to see in 20 years? Sure. Okay. Um, so first I'm hoping for a world where parents have stopped letting their kids get sick and die from preventable illnesses because they're so scared of my disability. Um, I'm hoping for a world where autistic kids can grow up loving themselves and feeling safe in their bodies and seeing autistic adults living lots of different lives and having lots of different kinds of jobs. I'm hoping for a world where autistic people living great lives and also needing day-to-day support or communicating without speech is unremarkable and normal and honestly kind of boring, where we've really gotten past that idea that you can't have a good life and also need support. Um, And I'm hoping for a world where my community can live freely um, without fear of violence and be all of the amazing and beautiful possibilities that we can be. I don't know if we'll get there in 20 years, um, but I think we can get closer. Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. If you enjoyed today's episode, here is one way that you can help our podcast grow. Become a patron and get access to ad-free episodes, behind-the-scenes posts, Join our Together Letters group and have a sneak preview of MCIE's new podcast series, Inclusion Stories. Special thanks to our patrons, Melissa H., Sonia A., Pamela P., Mark C., Kathy B., Kathleen T., Jarrett T., Gabby M., Aaron P., and Paula W. for their support of Think Inclusive. For more information about inclusive education or to learn how MCIE can partner with you in your school or district, visit MCIE.org. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.